Good morning, everyone. Come on in from the foyer. And I was just talking to Pastor Don about uh, our first song, Trading My Sorrows. And I said it was from camp, and we'd all go a little crazy. So he said that we should all channel our inner camper from West Bank. <laughs> so if you'd like to stand with us for these first three songs, that would be great. I can feel the rain reminding me in the eye of the storm. 
Christ, my all in all, 
so much. much. Thank you, Ms. DJ. With that prayer still, um, I hope, in our heart, uh, let's pray together. Mm, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather in the name of Jesus to worship you. Lord, what powerful words we just sang. And we give you praise and we give you thanks that uh, in the storms of our life that uh, you don't abandon us, but you're there. And so, Lord, we just say thank you. And Lord, anyone in this room who right now just feels they're in the middle of a storm and they wonder where you are, I just pray, Spirit of God, would you just reveal your presence to them even in this moment and let them know that you have not abandoned them. Let them hear the words of Jesus that I will never leave you or forsake you. So Lord, just minister to to those hearts today. And Lord, as we sang, um, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Well, Lord, let that be our prayer today. Lord, in our weakness, as we struggle, as we doubt, as we're tempted all the time to give up and turn back, Lord, we just confess that before you. And we pray that we can sing with, and say with as much heart and passion and desire as possible, we've decided to follow you, Jesus, no turning back. It's hard. Lots doesn't make sense, but we don't want to turn back. We want to follow. So, Lord, I just pray that, that passion for each one of us. So thank you that we can gather. Thank you uh, for this great group of people. Bless this service, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me add my good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Don Fraze, and I serve as the transitional pastor here. And it's my privilege to uh, get to share a few things about our church family today. So if I can get them all straight. You have a bulletin. Most of that information is in there. And we'll just try to highlight a few things for today. So first, just uh, sympathy and condolences to, uh, to um, some of our families and our church family. There are actually two funerals happening in the, in the church this week. Uh, the first one is Tuesday at 2. And that's for Sarah Canouston. And then there's going to be a celebration of life for Peter Braun coming up on Saturday at 2 p.m. So as a church, we just want to offer our condolences, our heart, our prayers, our sympathy to all of the friends and family of these loved ones as they celebrate life, as they, as they mourn, that you'll know the peace of the presence of God. So keep those, those times in mind and know that they're coming up this week in the church. You've probably also heard that uh, we're going to be having some baptisms. If you thought they were today, they're not today. It's act- they're actually, because of just dates, working for some of our candidates. Uh, we're going to have a baptism and membership Sunday on June the 29th. So that's two weeks from now. So don't miss that Sunday, whatever you can do, because baptisms are the best. So be here for that. Um, next Sunday, we are privileged to have a, a missionary couple. So Brad and Cassidy Schrader, or Schroeder, I'm not sure. I'm a phrase, not a froze, so I should have clarified that. But anyway, they are missionaries in Thailand, and uh, they are going to be uh, sharing with us uh, next Sunday. So be around for that. And today, just so you know, today was the last Sunday school before the summer break. So starting next Sunday, our summer schedule will simply be coffee at 10 and service at 10.30. So while you're around in summer, come and join us, have a coffee hang out a little bit, and then we will come and and worship Jesus together. So that's already starting next Sunday. 
And what else did I forget? Oh, yes, maybe the most important thing. That right after church today, there is a picnic in the park. It is going to be at Southside Park that I've never been to, but I'm sure all of you know where that is. And uh, I believe that this is bring your own food, bring your own chair, but everybody's welcome and invited to just hang out together and enjoy this beautiful day. And even though it's a beautiful day, we'll still pray for rain. That can come tomorrow, but we'll have our picnic first. So, God is good. Well, this time I want to ask uh, Tim, Tim Orthner, to come and join me up here. So I've been, uh, been very blessed to get to know Tim and Patricia. Um, maybe some, not all of you maybe know, but Patricia also serves as our office admin here. And Tim and Patricia um, have allowed me to stay on their property while I live in Swift Current. And so thank you both for your generosity and hospitality to me and to the church. So bless you for that. Thank you. So, uh, God's been up to things and working in our lives, and God's Spirit's been stirring in Tim, and just to see him come alive spiritually and be excited in his life, bless you, Tim. And Tim just wants to share some of that journey with us today. So, bless you as you share, Tim. Thanks, Don. <clears throat> Good morning. As Don said, um, yeah, God's been doing some work in the life of Patricia and myself, and I think as we're entering this time of healing and renewal for our church, um, this might be a good time for me to, to say this to you. And I am sharing, some of what I'm sharing is from me and um, much of what I'm sharing is uh, on behalf of my wife and myself. Proverbs 29:11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And Proverbs 15:18 reads, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. What Patricia and I wish to share with you today is a testament to the awe-inspiring wonder of God and His Holy Spirit and the power of obedience and prayer. It's also a step that Patricia and I want to take as an important part of our healing as we deal with the effects of the fallout from the conflict our church has gone through. God has done amazing work in our lives, and I plan to share my testimony sometime soon. However, at this time in the process, we need to say this to the church. Um, we're speaking with the entire church today, but want to address this to the leadership of our church, and most specifically, the elders who are in place during the turmoil of the last 18 months or so. I come before my church today as a humbled sinner, saved by God's amazing, amazing grace, who was recently literally brought to my knees by God. Over the past little while, God has chosen to bless Patricia and I in ways we can't even begin to describe. But even in the midst of all that goodness, I was still harboring anger and resentment toward the leadership and so wanted to tell anyone who was listening how they had failed Patricia and how it nearly broke us. That anger and resentment rolled around in me constantly until one day recently it came to a head. I was meeting with a, men, a group of men who have been working together to determine God's will for our lives. And late that night, I asked Joe Martins, Josh Rempel, Jordy Braun, and Pastor Darren to pray along with me and for me, that God would remove that burden of anger from me. This anger and need for vengeance had tormented me for far too long, and I just wanted it gone. God's answer to our prayers was more than we could ever hope for or imagine. 
But it also revealed to me that I needed to take the plank out of my own eye. So today, the first thing I need to see, say to the members and the former members of the board is I am sorry. I humbly ask your forgiveness for the times I have thought badly about you and the times I have spoken unkindly about you. Upon reflection, I also realize that much of my anger was misdirected. What I did was wrong, and I am truly sorry. Please forgive me. Also, the night after my friends prayed for me, I was kneeling beside my bed in prayer, and something came so clearly to me. What I heard was, how much hurt, anger, and resentment do you think has been heaped on these men already? Do you really want to add all your stuff to that pile? That will bury them. It was so real, I immediately had to get up and go and talk to Patricia. And what I'm about to say is the result of many prayers that brought about God's good work in our lives. As part of the healing process our church is undergoing, Pastor Don is meeting with the affected parties and asking them to share their stories of the hurt and frustrations they feel the board's actions have caused them. Some others, along with Patricia and I, have even been offered the opportunity to meet directly with the board, to tell them where we feel they went wrong and how it hurt us. And as I have said, I can only imagine the amount of anger, hurt, and frustration that is being heaped upon the leadership and the board specifically as a result of this process. And while much of it may be justified, it is still a massive burden for anyone to have to carry. I am here before you to say that by the incredible grace of God and as a result of the sincere prayers by good men in our church, Patricia and I have chosen to take all our hurts, fears, pain, and frustration, and rather than heap them upon you, the board, and add to your burden, we are placing them at the foot of the cross. We are here to tell you that at this time, rather than sharing our pain and struggles with Don or confronting the board about the, all the issues that hurt us, we have decided to give them all to Jesus. Patricia and I are praying that God will move others in our church to truly repent and give their hurts, anger, and resentment to Jesus and help this church to begin to truly heal and become the church that God would desire it to be. I have asked that a song be played as I finished. I first heard this song when I was much younger. I have listened to the words a number of times and sometimes wondered what it really meant to give my troubles to him. But through all this and by listening to God, I'm finally beginning to figure it out. As the song plays, please take a moment to ask God to reveal the things in your life that are holding you back. Pain, sorrow, resentment, fear, whatever it is. And if you find anything that you need to give to Jesus, after you leave here this morning, gather some trusted friends around you. Get down on your knees and call out to him. Or if you want, come see me. I would love to pray with you. You won't regret it. All the hurt, that anger, the resentment, that was tearing me up inside. And it is such a relief today to experience God's peace. Do I still think about it? Yes. But when I do, I can say, God's got this, and my mind can go to better things. And so to Chad, Ryan, Scott, Bob, Jordy, Dave, and any others involved, while the church may still have a process that it feels it needs to go through, for Patricia and I, it's over. It's truly done. With God's help, we have given it all to Jesus. Chasing pretty rainbows Are you tired of spinning 
Bear your cross. 
For the kids that haven't started going, you can leave for Children's Church. Tim and Patricia, I would like to thank you on behalf of the elders for your words of humility and, and your vulnerability today. As elders, we apologize, and, and we want to apologize to everybody as well. We are striving to be better, we want to be better, and that is a, a commitment we want to make to you guys and to everyone here. So, A verse that I've picked out for today was Psalm 46.10. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Sometimes I need this as a reminder to just calm myself, to be still, look around, and see where God is working in, in our community, in our world, and in my life. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your everlasting grace. We thank you for your, your work in our lives, in our community, and in our world. Lord, continue to show us your abundant grace and continue to give us the peace and calm that only you can give us, Lord. Thank you for taking the weight off our shoulders, for forgiving us of our sins, and help us to move forward and to forgive those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How about that? Darkness loses its power when light appears, doesn't it? Don't lies lose their power when you experience the truth? You have no idea the scripture that we're going to enter into this morning. You have no idea. The intimacy of this conversation That's a heart that's been changed. That's a miracle. That's a miraculous thing that you saw. He spoke about that happening. About people experiencing and encountering the light and it changing them. And we read those words and we highlight them in our Bibles because we love them and we think that's a good word. That's a good word. But does that happen? And then you see it. You see a heart that was dead come alive. You see someone who's trapped in lies experiencing truth. And today in the Gospel of John, we get to join him in one of the most intimate conversations that's ever recorded of Jesus having. Before we read the words of our Savior, we need to pray. I've been reading Revelation in my devotions this week. There's worship in his throne room, and there's fear of God in his throne room. So let's be respectful as we enter into his word. Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and allowed us as a family this opportunity to read it together. And I pray as we 
as we meet with you, Holy Spirit, you would expose lies and darkness for what it is and that there would be victory in this place because light would appear, because truth would be spoken, that Satan would lose footholds this morning in our family and in my life. I believe that you are powerful, Lord Jesus. I believe, I believe that the prayers of the saints and the testimony is powerful. And I want to see your will be done here on earth and in our family like it's done in heaven. I want to see respect and awe and stillness before you because you are God. And we are not God and we will never be God. Prepare our hearts, Holy Spirit, to hear words of truth this morning. Guard my mouth from speaking things that are my own thoughts that don't come from you. Help me not to speak with words of wisdom and eloquence and try to empty the cross of its power. Simply to let the cross of Jesus change people's hearts and lives and for me to be still and get out of the way. Thank you for our family. Protect us, Lord, as we read this scripture. We love you. Amen. John. Look at this picture for a second. The rejection of the world. As I'm reading the Gospel of John, this is where my mind is going. One person coming into the world, being the bearer of light. And for the first time, darkness has encountered light. You know that feeling? That feeling when you are just waking up and somebody turns on the lights and you in your mind have never thought about killing someone but in that moment feel like a murderer. You understand? Because when that light comes on, it just burns. The best is doing it to your kids. Time to get up. Flick. Jesus came bringing the light into this world, and it shocked everybody. John, one of Jesus' best friends, years later wrote down the story. And as John tried to summarize the story of his king, he starts off his gospel. This is just a couple verses from John 1 before we go into John 15. He starts off the story of his king by saying, In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, this is through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing's been made that's been made. In Him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. That's going to be the theme throughout so much of John's telling of his king. He appeared in a dark world, being a torchbearer of light. And though the world is going to reject him, they can't overcome him. And now, as you and me are going to read this scripture from John 15, we enter into this intimate conversation. They're sitting around the table. Whereas Jesus has just given them the very first communion. 
They've taken Passover, this sacred symbol, this holy symbol given to them by God, and Jesus has now turned it into a reflection on his upcoming sacrifice, which is hours away, hours away, the very next morning. And as everyone sits and listens to Jesus speak, their feet are clean because their king knelt down and humiliated himself to take the posture of the lowest servant in their presence to take care of them and show love to them. And as he's saying goodbye to them, because hours from now he'll be arrested and many of them won't see him again until after his death, he says to them in John 15, starting at verse 18, He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? This is just from the foot washing. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now catch this in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. And as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what's written in the law, in their law. They hated me without reason. They hated me without reason. But this is what he came to tell them as they have this conversation, as he's ready to pray for them and say goodbye. I did something to them. I exposed something to them. I spoke something to them. They saw something in me. And now their sin is revealed. It's on full display. I asked the youth group the other night. We were at Dave and Becky's around the bonfire. And I said... If this was the very last chance that I got to speak to them, what should I say? And we have a few kids in youth group who are graduating this year. And I said, if this was the last chance that we ever got to speak to them before they leave, what should we say to them? We should say that we love them we should say that we'll be thinking about them, that they'll never be alone, and they don't have to lose hope. I imagine these guys just sitting in stunned silence as Jesus describes his leaving. And they're trying to process this, and it'll make more sense when they head out to the garden and the guards show up and it becomes real to them. But Jesus has done something that can't be undone. 
He has lived sinlessly in their presence and exposed their sin. He's lived righteously in their presence and exposed their lack of righteousness. And it's driven them to the point of murder. And he says to them, they're going to hate you too because of me. They're going to hate you too because of the way that I've exposed their sin. But there's still hope. And this is where we step into the next piece of scripture. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I picked this picture because it's different than one person being the torchbearer. See, up to this point, Jesus has been the presence of God among the people. He has been the one that has carried the Spirit and spoken truth and life to people and revealed light into darkness. But now the Spirit of God is going to descend on the disciples and is going to fill them. They are going to be now carriers of light wherever they go. And when they don't know what to say, the Spirit of God is going to speak and testify on their behalf. You see, they're not responsible now for being the soul bearers of light because light is going to descend from heaven and it's going to back up what they have to say. The Holy Spirit is going to speak truth to them to reveal the lies that are attacking them. The Holy Spirit is going to do powerful works to reveal that what they say about God is true, but also reveal to them what true sin and righteousness is. You ready to read about the Holy Spirit? I'm excited. This is a courtroom scene that we're entering into. This language John uses, he's trying to tell what Jesus said and help people to understand this. This is verse 26 of chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, keep reading along with me, otherwise it'll be behind me. Jesus says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. He's going to advocate for you. Advocate. He's going to speak on your behalf. So what this is, is he's launching his disciples out into a world that wants to convict them, wants to judge them, wants to see them die. And they're supposed to be the bearers of a testimony in a hostile courtroom where no one's going to believe them. And they're supposed to be the sole witnesses for Jesus. And he says, don't you worry. The spirit that only speaks truth is going to advocate for you. He's going to stand beside you. And he's going to speak a testimony that matches your testimony. He's going to be the special witness who will speak on your behalf at the trial and no one will have anything to say against him because what he speaks is truth. He's going to give supernatural works to some of you to show that what you say is true about the one who has come to reveal his identity to people and no one will have a word to say against him. Guys, he's coming to advocate for you. You're not going to be alone. But it's going to get worse. It's going to get much, much worse. Can you imagine the disciples just quietly trying to soak this in and understand what Jesus is trying to say to them? Chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you 
so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time's coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or known me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now, now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Don't you remember? Pause for a second. Don't you remember just two chapters ago, they're having this conversation about Jesus leaving. And all the disciples are saying, where are you going though? Where are you going? Now Jesus says, none of you are asking me where I'm going. Because verse 6, rather you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. you imagine looking them in the eyes? Like, I begin to see this as I'm reading this story. And up till this point, all the hate has been directed at Jesus. As Jesus has revealed his identity to them, they've constantly attacked him. Right? You remember as we read the Gospel of John, he does this miraculous healing in chapter 5, and they attack his identity. He provides bread for the people in chapter 6, and they attack his identity. He's teaching at the temple in chapter 7 and 8 and 9, and they attack his identity. In chapter 10, he reveals that he's actually the shepherd of all the sheep. He's come to bring all of them life, and they attack who he is. Because who he claims to be changes everything. And they don't want to believe that he is who he says he is. So they go after him. And now he's saying to them, guys, do you remember those moments? Now that I'm leaving, you hold the light in your hand, and they're coming after you. You remember how they attacked me? It's you now. They're not just going to kick you out of church. They're going to try to kill you. And they're going to think God will be proud of them because they've gotten rid of these heretics that believe Jesus is Messiah of the Old Testament. And all the guys are just absorbing this. They're going to try to kill us? They're going to try to kill you. And they're going to think it's in service to him. That's the burden of handing someone the light of the gospel. They always say in church, you should invite your friends and invite your neighbors to church. Are you sure? Can they handle this? The weight of stepping into holding the gospel of Jesus? Like, we'll get to that in the application, but there's, there's heaviness to being a Christian. I try not to sugarcoat it when we talk in the youth group. Like, coming before Jesus and becoming one of his disciples isn't just a laying down of your life. It's not just a carrying of your own cross. But you now are becoming a light bearer in a world of darkness that wants nothing more than to crush you. Are you sure you can handle that cost? It'll get lighter. I know it's heavy. Don't worry. Light is coming. Stay with me. 
Late is coming. This is verse 8. Jesus is about to reveal specifically what the Holy Spirit is going to do in this courtroom that's going to change everything. Jesus says, when he, that's the spirit of truth, when he comes, verse 8, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now your Bible, depending on which translation you use, might not use the word prove. It might use the word convict. But that's what it is. It's proof given in the courtroom to lead to conviction. This is evidence that is clear. He's going to prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, verse 9, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, verse 10, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Amen. The prince of this world now stands condemned. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. That's the evidence that you're going to see through him. Why are they wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment? Here's why. Jesus is about to get murdered in give or take 12 hours. And this is what they think about sin. They think that I'm the sinful one. But truly, they're walking in darkness. They have been lied to and they have bought a gospel that is self-focused. The sin that Adam and Eve struggled with in the Garden of Eden is still the sin that they're struggling with now. They are sinful. And the greatest sin of all is the rebellion against God. It's the replacing God with yourself. They're wrong about sin because people don't believe in me. That's what sin truly is. Guys, they're wrong about righteousness. These Pharisees stand on the street corner and they pray these elaborate prayers. And they think the many words that they say will bring about some sort of honor or answer from God. They fast. And when they fast, they wave it in everyone's face to try to get their attention. Because they think somehow when everyone sees their righteous deeds, it amplifies their righteousness. When they give, they put it on display. People should respect them and their opinion and their worship because it's greater than everyone else's. Jesus just talked about that in the Sermon on the Mountain. People think that is righteousness. But what he says is, when I go to the Father and you see me no longer, you will realize what righteousness is. And you know what it's not? All of those things. Who is the only righteous one? the one who ascends back to the Father. He's the only righteous one. He became sin who knew no sin that you might become what? Righteous. He took on sin even though he had never experienced so you could have a taste of righteousness for the very first time because there's none in you. There's none in you. All these good deeds that we bring before God, he says they're like filthy rags. We think God will be so impressed. I'm going to wave this thing in front of him. He's going to be so impressed. And God looks at you and he sees sin. And he goes, nope, not impressed. But I gave so much. No, not impressed. Who is righteous except the one who has come from the Father and who goes back to the Father. He is righteous, and he gives that righteousness to you. 
They're wrong about sin. They're wrong about righteousness. And they're wrong about judgment. They're going to nail Jesus to a cross because they have judged him and found him guilty, deserving death. But as he dies on that cross, and as his death defeats sin forever, and as he rises from the grave, revealing to the world that he holds the power of life, who truly dies on that cross? Who is found guilty deserving the death sentence? Jesus? It's the prince of this world. It's Satan. After Jesus dies on the cross, it is Satan's death sentence that's been sealed. And it's a matter of time. And it's coming. He has been found condemned and deserving death. But along with him, everyone who follows him, every person who walks in darkness and chooses not to enter the light, has been found guilty, deserving the cross. Deserving the death, not the Savior. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit is going to show to people when he comes and prove it to them and convict them of. These things. Let's finish the next couple verses, then you and I are going to have a chat. Verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what's yet to come. He'll glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I say the spirit will receive from me what he'll make known to you. The spirit of truth is coming. And I can't even explain to you right now all the things I want to tell you. You couldn't bear it. But he's going to be my voice. He's going to speak my words. The words that he speaks are not his own creation. They're not his own invention. They're the words of the Father and they're the words of me. And he will speak them to you when I'm gone. I'm trying to imagine what I would say to the disciples before they go off into this world of darkness. He's preparing them for this battle they're going to enter into. This battle that's been raging from the moment that God and Satan came into conflict with one another. And then when Satan spoke these lies to God's own creation... And Adam, which means humanity, and Eve, which means life, when the two of them believed the lies of Satan and the relationship with God was severed and they were separated from him, God begins to speak truth to combat those lies and bring his creation back to him. And that's it. It's not going to take some preacher with a lot of charisma to get you to have a change of heart. Like... I don't have to use special fonts or something like that to have an impact on you. Because the truth is that you and I have been believing lies our whole lives. And when you encounter the truth, it sets you free. Not when you encounter dynamic church does it set you free. The truth does. And what is the truth? 
that from the moment that you were born and I was born, we've been chasing ourselves first before God. We think it's okay to hold on to bitterness and rage and anger until the Holy Spirit whispers, that's not true. That's not true. It doesn't make you happy. We believe our identity and our purpose and our community come from all these external sources because that's the lies that we've heard. And then the Holy Spirit whispers the truth. Your identity is found in me. Your purpose is found in me. Your community is found in me. And then hearts are changed in a moment and you can't explain it. Hearts are changed. I heard a pastor once use the illustration of the pig returning to mud because that's what pigs do. You wash them and they return to mud. But when someone becomes a Christian and encounters the truth, it alters the nature within them. We're no longer slaves to our sin, we're slaves to righteousness. So now when we go near the mud and we see it and we touch it, it doesn't feel right anymore. It feels wrong because our nature has changed and we don't even want it. That's why I don't need to speak to you with words of eloquence and wisdom. You need to encounter the power of Jesus and that'll change you. You see, lies and darkness are what we encounter all the time in this world. It invades our family, it invades our church family, it invades our personal families. What are the lies that you've believed? We enter into this moment of self-reflection. What are the lies that we've believed that have changed our actions, that have altered our hearts? And how is the spirit of truth trying to speak words of light into your darkness? What's going to heal a broken church? Words of truth spoken into hearts that expose the lies and drive them out? What's going to drive the darkness out of our family? The light. The light will. When you get to the end of this chapter, when you get to the very end of chapter 16, we encounter these words from Jesus, and it's the final slide. In this world, you will have trouble but take heart, I've overcome it. James, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James chapter one again, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter chapter 1. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. 1 Peter 4. Friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Romans chapter 5. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because of the love of Jesus that's been poured out through the Spirit. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8. Romans 12. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in your affliction. Be faithful in prayer. And 2 Corinthians 12. Verses 9 and 10. The words of Paul reflecting on what God taught him. He says, God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults and in hardships. I delight in persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Because in his weakness, God is displayed. In his weakness, God's power is shown. Tim comes up here and says, In my weakness, I was angry and bitter and resentful. In my weakness, all of this evil took hold in my life. But then in my weakness, God was strong. And he revealed the truth to me. In our moments of desperation, our advocate shows up and he speaks the truth. We were praying last Sunday about the Holy Spirit coming and filling people and equipping people. This is a battle that we're in. And some of us are sitting here in this family and we're not participating in it. Some of us are so trapped in the darkness, entrapped in the lies. It's just become every word that we've heard. I know because Jesus says in the Gospels that there are going to be people from the churches that will stand before him one day and say, Lord, Lord, I participated in the family. And he's going to say, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Why? Because we sat in the darkness the whole time, but we sat in a room filled with light, and we thought we were in the light, but we weren't. That's why I keep repeating this over and over again when I teach you, that sitting in this room, participating in our activities, singing the songs, that's not it. That's not it. We can do that and believe the lies for 60 years. We can do these activities and it means nothing until, boom, the truth hits you. And you go, I've been living in lies my whole life, darkness. I wasn't doing a good job raising my family or loving my wife. I was self-focused. I was inward. Everything was about me. I was worshiping myself. I had made myself God for my whole life. And then God wakes you up. The Spirit speaks truth. And it's like, Someone turned the lights on and you're never the same. 
That's why when Jesus speaks these words and says, guys, in this world, you're going to face darkness. You're going to face trouble. But take heart. This world doesn't stand a chance. Doesn't stand a chance. I've overcome it. This world is going to constantly throw lies at you and lies at you. But it's not going to hit you because the truth is within you. It it can't overcome you. When they try to get you to worship yourself, when they get you to try to question your identity and purpose, it won't work because you've encountered the truth and your nature has been changed. You're not the same anymore. So this week as I'm reading through the scripture, I'm just imagining people in my family living their whole lives in the dark and never encountering the light. I'm thinking about how I, as a pastor, have helped equip that by putting on these large productions where you come and you hear the gospel spoken to you, but the gospel hasn't changed you. Why? Because you think you can come here and listen to songs sung about the gospel and hear a pastor read the gospel to you, and you think, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. Once a week, for half an hour, somebody reads the Bible to me. That's my relationship with Jesus. But it's not. It's not at all. As I met with some guys in our church about a week and a half ago, I sat with them as they prayed and shared their Bible reading with one another. And they welcomed me into some of their group discussion. And they have started to read the Bible every day. They've started to pray and communicate with God every day. And it's changing their lives. Why? Because it's forming relationship. Instead of spending their lives hearing about God, they know him now. And they're not the same. And Dawn is here. And Dawn is the doctor who comes to help churches that need a healer. But that's not the case at all. What does the church need? It needs light and it needs the truth. And he's going to come and preach that to us over and over and over again. Yes, in this world, you will face hardships. All of these guys did. James wrote to a church that was dying. Peter wrote to a church that was being taught by false teachers. Paul is writing to the Roman church, which is getting slaughtered by the empire. And John writes Revelation to seven churches who their faith is flickering. And the emperor has put statues in all the cities, and he's forced them to bow down and worship the emperor of the Roman Empire. And John, through this vision from Jesus, writes to them and says, don't do it. Overcome this. Be victorious. Conquer. Don't bow down. Because they're going to try to convince you that they win. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Because one day, in a painful way, this world will end. And the people who believe in God will be up in his throne room, worshiping them. God and Jesus on the throne. And then he says it again in Revelation. The world one day is going to end painfully. And all of us will be with him, every tribe and nation and language and people, worshiping him in his throne room. And he describes it again in Revelation, because they're not getting the point. 
that one day this whole world is going to end in a dramatic day of the Lord. Babylon, the evil empire, is going to fall. Rome is going to fall. Why? Because the sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth, the words of truth, are going to cut through the lies and the darkness of Satan. He'll be separated from God forever, and they'll never come in between you and God anything ever again in heaven because the lies will be gone. One day, the empire will fall. So take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what I wanted my family to hear this week. To pursue the truth, to pursue the light, and to take heart when you face trials of many kinds. And as I pray for you, I want to give you this encouragement because this has been so encouraging to me this past week is to do this. I want you, just consider it, to speak truth and life into somebody else in the church. I want you to think of someone in the church family and send them the scripture that you're reading. Send them a word of encouragement Text them or email them. Grab them in the foyer. Give them a phone call. Speak truth to them and watch what happens. I've had brothers in this church speak truth to me all this past week, and it has been life-giving to me. So I'm encouraging you, find someone in the church and speak truth to them. Don't just go home and think about it and nod your head and go, he's got a good point there. Do it. Find someone and speak a little truth to them. Because when the rest of us have our hearts grabbed by Jesus and light invades the darkness, you're going to see more people stand on this stage and declare that Satan has lost, that Jesus has won, and that they've been set free. That was the first of many people over this next year who are going to stand up here and declare that Satan is lost. Not because of me, not because anything I do. Because he's overcome the world. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we acknowledge that we don't deserve the opportunity to speak to you and to be with you. And that's grace. And Father, I pray for my family that you would guard their hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak truth and life into them, into those who are trapped in darkness, those who are trapped in sin, that sin is just the language of their heart right now. I pray that you would burst into that through your Holy Spirit and they would never be the same. That angerness and bitterness and rage and resentment would have no power and no grip and no foothold in our church family anymore. That forgiveness and grace would be our language. That we would be obedient to you and love one another like you commanded. And God, if you have to strip away all the other stuff, all the peripheral stuff, that we have added on to meeting with you, if all of it needs to fall for us to see you clearly, I pray that it would fall. 
because I want my family to see you, to hear you, and nothing else. Forgive us, Father, for our sins as we repent and we turn away from them. We admit that we fall short all the time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've allowed us access into the throne room of God and reunited us. Satan, hear this warning. You have no place in this family anymore. You are not welcome here. Darkness is no longer welcome here. Lies are no longer welcome here. Holy Spirit, would you do something powerful in our church family? Would you reveal to us the full extent of the truth? Would you convict us of sin and cause us to repent and to ask forgiveness and to confess our sin to one another? Would you set us free? Thank you, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you.